When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Trashy Divorces, everyone. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends. I'm Alicia. Thanks for joining us. Can you believe we're at the end of season eight? I really can't. Of Trashy Divorces, two years. Two years. Amazing. Thank Amazing. you, friends, for joining us today and all those other weeks. Mm-hmm. We are pulling this week's episode together under the theme song of Crazy. Classic. Which, uh, so much a classic. Which my trashy story this week, Willie Nelson wrote it. Your trashy story this week, Patsy Cline made it famous. Fun fact, the original title of Crazy was Stupid. God, it's such a weird thing to listen to it with that in mind. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. No, Crazy's Mm -hmm. better. Yes. Crazy's better. Yes. Hey, before we start on the episode. Let's talk about Patreon. American Woman series this week. I covered Olive Thomas with the flapper archetype. Oh, we did a follow-up on the new Amsterdam theater with spiderwebs. And then I got into all of the hat riots of New York. There are the a lot of hats this week on tw- Patreon. New Yorkers, chill about <laughs> your head coverings. I'm not even kidding. Speaking of hats, let's take our hats off to our new supporters this week. Great transition. On Patreon. And bring out our magic mirror with big thanks and love, too. Thank you so much to Angela, Kiki, Chelsea W, Karen I, and Megan M. Big thanks to Patricia, our newest trash candy connoisseur super supporter. Patricia, we can't wait to see you and our other trash candy connoisseurs on December 27th, Sunday, for our live from the living room party. Zoom call. Watch for us to be back for season nine on the 3rd of January. 2021, everyone. It's amazing. New year. Let's get there. Don't look at it too hard. Don't Don't make eye contact. Approach it slowly. Don't startle it. (laughs) Scare 2021. We need it to not run away. (laughs) Hey, we may be back with a holiday bonus in the meantime, but in order to do that, we need your trashy stories. Send them to trashydivorces at gmail.com if you want to get them in for that bonus holiday episode that's going to happen sometime before January 3rd when we come back for a whole brand new season. We think, in the meantime, what should we do? Oh, we should definitely go, go, go. Stacy, I will walk anywhere before or after midnight with Patsy Klein. I love her. As one should. I think we should all fall to pieces while we explore, oh my God, a queen of trashy. This is... Yeah? Oh, this has all all the gold, all the trash candy gold. Alicia, do you want to talk about an enduring voice? I've got one for you. While Patsy Cline was only with us for 30 short years, Mm. she spent the second half of her life mastering country music and mesmerizing audiences in the process. Luckily... She also sandwiched two marriages in there with one divorce between them. Hooray for us. Mm -hmm. 
She was a pioneer for women in country music, a mentor and friend, especially to up-and-coming women in the industry. She was the first woman country singer to enjoy crossover success on the pop charts. Really? And she really became Nashville's first female superstar. Up until then, it had always been like a woman paired with a man or like it was it was always a woman in relation to a, a male artist who was she was a sidekick. Patsy Klein was no one's sidekick. But mostly Patsy Klein was possessed of that voice. And it still lands now more than half a century after a plane crash took her life along with those of fellow artists Cowboy Copas, Hank Shaw Hawkins, and her manager, Randy Hughes. Virginia Patterson Hensley was born on September 8th, 1932. She is a Virgo. Ah. Was. Okay. Was a Virgo in the Shenandoah Valley region of Virginia, and she came up in pretty uh, constrained circumstances. Her parents were married, but her mom was just 16 years old. Their relationship would end up being spectacular. Just think Gilmore Girls with Lorelai and Rory kind of growing up together, you know, like her mother. Interesting. Yeah, okay. her mom was 16 years old when she was born. So they really, and then Patsy had such an unusual life that like it was just, it was just all one big ride. So so good Imago in this case. Well, kind it, of. Uh, Dad was much older. He had been born on August 16th, 1889. He's a Leo. And he was trained as a blacksmith during service in World War One, but he I think he just kind of odd jobbed his way through adulthood. So he had a first marriage that produced two half siblings for Patsy. And when his wife died suddenly from pneumonia in 1927, he went a courting to find him a new mama. Oh my! Samuel Hensley had some problems. A neighbor described him as a hard drinking, mean son of a gun and a hellraiser. Oh shit. Others have said that was overblown, but Patsy herself would confide years later to her close friend Loretta Lynn that he had molested her as a child. So you be the judge. No, that's terrible. Of old Sam's character. So little Patsy, then known as Virginia or Jenny, first fell in love with dance because her mother took her to see some Shirley Temple flicks at the local movie house. (laughs) So she was relentless as a like little, little kid that she would be a dancer. And her mom had to constantly remind her, like, baby, you know, we cannot afford to send you to dance classes. Like, that's just not going to happen. Precocious Patsy, fully unstoppable. She is tap dancing through what I've, I've looked at pictures of her childhood home. Like, I'm this was just a wooden structure. I'm sure this was noisy as all get out. And there's no, like, electrical stuff to mask any set. Like, it's just, she's just tap dancing on hardwood floors. Good for her. Woo! Her mother, when young Patsy was four, saw a flyer about a a kid's dance competition. And so she enters. We're going to put a stop to this. I think mom may have been thinking. Oh, I love it. Going to get up there. Patsy wins. Patsy wins. Yes! (laughs) With no training. (laughs) I'm sorry. Dancing on those wooden floors in the home is a lot of training. Yeah. That is diligent practice. So weirdly, though, this success was like... That just made dancing old hat. So then it was on to music. Her half-siblings were currently living with their music instructor who was training them to go on to, like, classical programs. Patsy wanted in. She wanted a piano. So this was, it was the same thing all over again. Baby, we can't can't afford afford to buy you a piano. That's, don't be, don't be so, (laughs) she was insatiable. She was indomitable. She was, she probably bullied her parents. And for her seventh birthday, they they bought her a piano. 
Wow, that's amazing. I yeah, love I'm, it. Like, I'm imagining it was maybe a second hand, right? Like, I'm... Anyway, uh, she was a natural at it, of course. She's picking up songs by ear. Saturday night, the family is glued to the radio for Grand Ole Opry. And she's sitting down and just playing what she just heard. Like, remarkable. When the fancier kids at school would taunt her about, you know, being poor, she had none of it. She would just turn around and be like, you wait. I'm going to be on the Grand Ole Opry and everyone's going to know my name. I love this story. I mean, so here's a weird twist. As luck would have it, (laughs) at age 13... Patsy Cline developed rheumatic fever and it nearly killed her. Oh, no. Is that luck? It is because it gave her that voice. Um, So this is a complication from strep throat if it's untreated. I imagine this was very common in the dirt poor South back in the day. So her heart stopped. At one point, she had to be housed in an oxygen tent for several days. This was a serious, serious infection. But when she recovered, her voice was completely different. Holy cats. So aside from having been playing piano now for, what, six years? Now she's got that voice. She's got Patsy Cline's voice. (laughs) She comes out of the hospital. Patsy Cline. The universe is always conspiring in your favor. I mean, kind of. You know, the next year she's performing at the local radio station uh, in, in Winchester, Virginia. Soon after, though, when she should have been starting high school... Dad, like, loses his mind and abandons the family. He's just over well, Doesn't sound like anybody's going to miss him too much. Yeah, probably not. So she drops out of school to help support her mom and herself. But her dreams were not deterred. Oh, no. She was serving. She was a soda jerk, I believe was. I would love to know what the actual written job description of soda jerk was, because you were just helping customers at the counter right you're pulling the milkshake machine there's a lot of labor i'm sure i'm just jerking the soda is that phrasing alicia phrasing okay you asked at 15 she began lobbying the grand Ole opry to let her audition and after letters and some personal exchanges with touring opry musicians she was invited to nashville to do just that she's 15 years old it went great but they never got back to her. So she, her mother, a friend, and two, her two siblings drove back to Virginia to, I don't know, to see what was coming next. So jerk and soda. <laughs> Phrasing. Uh, so this was a brush with greatness that she had envisioned, but, you know, she was really young still. And, you know, as fate would have it, she had some dues to pay before stardom would come to her. She ended up in a country band run by bandleader Bill Peer, which led to a several-year-long affair between them, as well as a little professional development along the way, too. Okay. It was multifaceted. Bill was 11 years her senior, and he'd been kicking around the country music scene in in this region and kind of of broadly, like, he traveled a lot. Uh, Winchester, Virginia, it looks like, is maybe an hour outside of Washington, D.C. So it's not that there weren't, like larger venues that they had access to or or easy access to anyway the i the country music scene in the virginia area in the mid 20th century is not one i'm particularly well versed in so he uh had made this melody boys and girls that was the band that he led into a reliably booked 
weekend act and they would play like the Charlestown Racetrack or Joe Turner Arena in DC. Potomac River Showboat Cruises was oh, another wow. thing they do on weekends. That's great. And like the Moose Lodge and the American Legion, like Legion Halls and you know, stuff like that. Like again, just I just heard my band is booked every weekend. Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah this was not his full time job during the week. His days were spent selling Buicks and his evenings were spent selling small appliances. So that this life of weekends would be possible. When they weren't gigging on weekends, they spent Saturday morning playing live for the local radio station. This is great. So Virginia, who would become Patsy Klein under Bill's mentorship from her middle name, Patterson, met him um, either at the Buick dealership or at the radio station in 1952. Like it, everybody heard kind of different. Okay. Yeah. Explaining that she wanted to be a singer. Hey, Mr. Pierre. I wonder if you might need a new singer for Melody Boys and Girls. I'm a girls. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Bill finally lets her on the stage that fall. And as far as Bill was concerned, that was all she wrote. Now, unfortunately for Bill and relatedly for Bill's wife, he was oh, already man. married. Mm -hmm. Here is how Jenny Peer, his wife, was quoted in Ellis Nassor's Patsy Cline biography, Honky Tonk Angel. Oh, no. The first time I saw her, I knew there was trouble ahead. Patsy was a woman any man would take a second look at. I warned Bill, be careful. You know what she's like. She'll use you and dump you. But Bill fell in love and loves blind. He saved everything from two jobs and went into debt to help Patsy. He became her manager, bought her clothes, and attempted to get her a record contract. He was on the phone constantly to friends in Nashville about taking Patsy there. Jenny had a more nuanced take about Patsy Klein than you might expect. Describing her as complex, she had these two quite interesting sides. She was tough as nails and tender-hearted, too. You're shaking your head. No, this is a hell of a story. She doesn't think Patsy was ever precisely in love with Bill, but Bill wouldn't leave her alone, and they shared this enthusiasm about the possibility of her career as a country music superstar. And I, I don't know, I mean, there was just... They, they were high on their own supply. So it was just a few months before Patsy would stun everyone in her life and Bill most of all by announcing in December 1952 that it was time to, quote, mend my evil ways and settle down Oh, with a guy named Gerald Klein. Surprise move. Yep. So it sounds like Gerald, who was born in 1925, so he was about seven or eight years older than Patsy. I don't have his birth date. I don't. I'll, I'll, yeah, I don't have a lot of these. We don't. We don't need it all. I'm just saying the astrology part is fun. I don't know. Bad husband. Let's go with that. Yeah, I don't care about your birthday if you're a crap husband. Right. Tell me. All right. So it sounds like he was kind of the charismatic and entirely self-centered son of a fairly prominent family in Frederick, Maryland. His brother Nevin gave this incredible description of Gerald Klein. Gerald liked flashy cars and women. He gave the impression he owned the family business and had plenty of money. He never had anything until dad died. He was Saturday rich after payday and Monday morning poor. He'd take the girls out one night a week. That's all he could afford. Wow, that is a, that's a hell of a yep. description about somebody. About your own brother. Yeah. Uh-huh. One of Patsy's friends, Faye Crutchley, said, When you boiled away all the grandiose bravado, BS, in other words, you had to like Gerald. He was always good for a laugh. There was only one problem. You never knew when he was telling the truth. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh. All right. So he had apparently dodged the draft in World War II 
by getting his girlfriend pregnant, marrying her. There were shotguns involved. Uh, and then no. moving to her family's farm where he could get a draft exemption for being a farmer. Gerald. Gerald. Once the war was over, so was the marriage. And his ex would later have to take him to court for not supporting their son. And Patsy Klein biographers have talked to the son. And like Gerald was just not in his life. Anyway, it was on his Saturday night ladies man forays to the area moose lodges and such that he... <laughs> that he encountered the Melody Boys and Girls' newest edition, and at the first break in the show, he beelined for Patsy Cline, soon to be Cline. <laughs> they started seeing each other, even while her affair with Bill was still ongoing, and Gerald, no dummy, started working to endear himself to Patsy's mother by bringing, like, kerosene and supplies for the house and just... smart guys just wooing the whole family. On March 7, 1953... The pair walked down the aisle. There are various tellings of why Patsy married him. The common notion was that she believed he was as well off as he pretended to be, but she told another friend years later, after their 1957 divorce, that Gerald had threatened to kill himself if she would not marry him. No. So, foundations, good, strong foundations Jeez. of trust and love. It's terrible. Gerald or not? Patsy had a singular focus in her life, and while Gerald initially enjoyed the travel, the late nights out dancing and boozing and all the rest of it, over time it graded on him that his wife had goals beyond him, and that perhaps he didn't have goals at all. I hate Gerald. In the meantime, Bill, still around, still, they were like on again, off again. It was, her friends were like, one month it was Bill, the next month it was Gerald, the next month it was Bill, like... Messy love triangle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Bill was starting to have some success getting Patsy noticed in Nashville, including her first radio appearance with Opry veteran Ernest Tubb, who had a late night show that followed the Opry and often featured up-and-comers in that orbit. So that was her, her big entree. Things with Gerald were deteriorating rapidly, and Patsy would often leave home to go to stay with her mother in Winchester, like, for weeks at a time. Mm. She had a short affair with a young sailor she met in the summer of 53, which fizzled out in the fall. All of this is just in time for Patsy's 21st birthday. Like, whoa. I know. Seriously, she may not have lived long, but she lived much. And like, at this point, she's only been married to Gerald for a few a months. Year, yeah. So meanwhile, Gerald was leaning more and more into the, why can't you just be someone who has supper on the table at six like a normal wife stuff? And Patsy... <laughs> you met Patsy? <laughs> I know. Patsy was having none of it. Also in 1953, she won a country music contest in Virginia, which led to a steady job doing commercial jingles at a Washington radio station, as well as a regular slot and 50 bucks a day on the afternoon show on an Arlington station. This show was distributed on acetate records that we have uh, talked about yeah. in other episodes, like quick press kind of stuff to like 1800 radio stations nationwide. So this is how Patsy got her first national exposure. I have a feeling Gerald is about to be really disappointed. This is how Gerald described the disintegration <laughs> of the marriage. <laughs> Quote, I had to get up early for work, so I couldn't always go to the Jamboree one-nighters. What a dick. It eventually got to the point where when she was home, I'd be working. She'd either be sleeping or rehearsing. When I was home, she'd be working on the show, on the road, or doing band dates. Before too long, there wasn't much of a marriage. Patsy wanted to have her cake and eat it, too. 
He thought it might help reform his wife if they moved into his parents' house for a while. Oh, yeah, that'll help. Oh, yeah. And as <laughs> should have been easily anticipated, Patsy and her freewheeling life clashed very hard with Gerald's mother's very proper mode of living. It's um, back to Gilmore Girls. It's like Emily. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's move in with move Emily. Emily. See how that goes. <laughs> Yikes. By the end of 56, Patsy and Gerald were no longer even trying to live together anymore, and their divorce would be finalized in 57. I approve. Let's talk about where Patsy had gotten her career during this period, though. So late in 54, she was signed to Four Star Records, although it was a contract that she would later come to very bitterly regret. I mean, it was just that, like, we own everything, and also they didn't use her talent well. Okay, so, yeah, the label did not understand, like, how to use her voice properly. So the material that she was working with there was, like, it is not regarded by, like... There are Patsy Klein scholars. <laughs> of course there are. It's a thing. Anyway, so like Patsy Klein people um, do not consider this period of her career to be anything like her best work. Very, it just, again, they just put her, they just used her wrong. But then she also contractually had to pay for all of the studio music, like the salaries of all the studio musicians from any royalty she received. So these records were going out, they were not commercially successful. And like basically, and putting her in debt. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a like, terrible contract. Yeah. So while these records failed, she continued performing live, and this is where I mean, Klein scholars are just like Patsy Klein live was a revelation. Oh, I bet that like word on the streets. In 1956, she appeared on ABC's Ozark Jubilee and later was invited to the nationally televised Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts. This was a very popular show for a while. So in New York for the taping in January 57, the show's producer was a longtime singer herself. Herself. This is 1957. Oh, wow. And the executive producer of this well-watched television show is was a, a woman. woman. Is remarkable. So she is a longtime singer herself who had come up in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, she made it in radio in the 30s and 40s, then onto TV, and finally into TV production. Her name is Jeanette Davis. So she heard Patsy's choice of a song called A Poor Man's Roses or A Rich Man's Gold, which I listened to. I don't think I've heard, the, like, it's not one I'm familiar with. And Jeanette was like, hey, why don't you perform this other song you've got, Walking After Midnight, instead? And Patsy was like, I don't like, that one makes me... We would use the word sex worker now, or the term sex worker now, but she was like, that's just, I feel like a prostitute when I'm singing it. Sure. So she had to be convinced. Jeanette also convinced her to wear a cocktail dress instead of this like over the top cowgirl costume that she had brought to wear for her big show in New York. So women helping women, Jeanette guides her into a you can better a, performance. A better performance in a more contemporary outfit context, right? Like you can imagine that a a more cynical producer would just kind of be like, oh, this is gonna be awesome television and just go up in your weirdo cowgirl yeah, outfit and, and play jangle. and play mm -hmm. your like standard country song, like the unmemorable. Let me guess, this is memorable. It was memorable. Yeah. Alright, so Patsy had to be convinced, had to be convinced to wear the cocktail dress. But she agreed, and in front of a television audience of 10 million, she won the talent search. Good for her. 
So Walking After Midnight had not yet hit stores in record form when this happened. So by the time it landed in stores on February 11th, it flew. I mean, it just, it was, it was a sensation. So Walking After Midnight, written by Alan Block and Don Hecht, went to number two on the Hot Country charts and number 12 on the pop charts, became an instant classic. And this may be, this may be the first time that you had someone charting in two categories. Those are fascinating. It's almost certainly the first time it was a woman doing it. Oh, yeah. I would think. The success also finally got her to one of her very first goals from childhood. (gasps) Yeah? In February, she finally appeared on the Grand Ole Opry. More appearances followed, as well as several months of engagements with the Arthur Godfrey show. And Patsy earned enough in this period to pay off her mother's mortgage. I'm moving out of my mother-in-law's house. (laughs) It was heady times, and not just professionally. In 1956, she had met a guy named Charlie Dick at a performance in Virginia, and they would marry on September 15, 1957, in what would be a passionate and tumultuous marriage cut short by Patsy's death in 1963. She's quoted as raving about Charlie to Grand Ole Opry pianist and old friend by now, Delwood. Hoss, I got some news, she called everyone Hoss. It's so charming. Hoss, I got some news. I met a boy my own age who's a hurricane in pants. A hurricane in In pants. pants. Del, I'm in love, and this time (laughs) it's for real. Hoss. (laughs) Yep, hurricane in pants. Hurricane in pants. So good. As a couple, they drank heavily. They took too many pills of too many kinds. They had two babies together. They celebrated successes. They caroused with others in not particularly discreet ways. And on at least one occasion, Patsy had Charlie arrested after he punched her in the face. Oh, God. Friends note that the physical altercations were fully two-way and that Patsy once beat the hell out of Charlie with an iron. I do not share this to make light of or excuse domestic violence, but more to show that Patsy Cline was no shrinking violet. And it seems like there was plenty of -of out-of-control behavior to go around. Wow. Just to be clear, I don't... There were problems, but it wasn't like Charlie was... Yeah, it wasn't like Charlie was just out of the blue, like, hitting her, right? They were a little out of control. That's what I'm getting at. Collectively. Together. (laughs) So shortly after they married, he got shipped off to Fort Bragg, North Carolina for a stint. And after she gave birth to their daughter, Julie, Patsy had the family make the move to Nashville. And she signed with manager Randy Hughes. This is when she finally started living the dream. She was working steadily and for decent money, as well as appearing regularly on the Opry. In January 1960, she became an Opry member and finished out her wildly unfair contract with Four Star. She followed that up by signing on with Decca Records, insisting on and receiving a $1,000 advance. Excellent. And then she released... I Fall to Pieces, Aww. written by Hank Cochran and Harlan Howard. It was her first number one. Oh, country hit. Sorry. It was her first number one country hit, and it went to number 12 on the pop charts, too, because Patsy Cline straddled worlds yeah. and had a very trashy life. In what seems like foreshadowing now, in June of 61, Patsy and her brother Sam were driving home from shopping in Nashville when their vehicle was struck head on by an oncoming car. Patsy was thrown into the windshield with extensive facial injuries resulting, as well as a broken wrist, a dislocated hip, and she nearly lost her eyes. There was a giant gash in her forehead. A terrible accident. 
yes, two people in the other vehicle died. And when she got to the hospital, they didn't expect her to live. She did, though. She spent the next month in the hospital recovering. She had plastic surgery for the rest of her life, She, which, sorry, was not long. But she wore heavy makeup to mask. Like, it didn't take care of all of the, the visible scarring. So in August, uh, after about six weeks of recuperation, she was back in the studio where she recorded the Willie Nelson written song, Crazy, which again hit number two on the country charts, number nine on the pop charts. Do you want to hear a fun fact about this? I do. She goes in to record it sooner than that, like three weeks after the accident. And Willie sings with such a, almost like jazz tuning. His phrasing is odd. And the way that he has written crazy, she keeps singing it. They do it for four hours in the studio. She's recuperating from an accident. And it doesn't sound like it sounds once she records it. And she's having a lot of problems with it. She's like, I don't like it. Like, this isn't, and she comes back, nails it in one take. Her producer's like, listen, you sing it the way you want to sing it. Forget about the way that Willie sings it. You sing it the way you want to sing it. She comes back, nails it in one take. And to this day, Willie Nelson will tell you, because a lot of people have covered his songs. What's your favorite version of anyone covering your song? Willie Nelson will say Patsy Cline's Crazy. He's like, she just, she got it. It's phenomenal. It's a great song. Better than stupid. Can you imagine? Good uh, job on that. Re- like, yeah. Revising that line was a good job, Willie. Agreed. And I realize that the word crazy itself now is, we're a little more sensitive around using it. But I mean, it's a wonderful song. It's a great song. Mm. In December, her second number one hit, She's Got You, was recorded. I know. It's so good. I've got these little things. Yeah. And she's got you. In 1962, she was an opener for Johnny Cash on a tour that included June Carter and George Jones. (laughs) And she had TV appearances. Trashy Divorces alums. Yeah. She had TV appearances on American Bandstand, the Tennessee Ernie Ford Show. She had shows at Carnegie Hall at the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. At the Mint Casino in Las Vegas. God knows what that is now. On March 5th, 1963, we've arrived at the end. A plane en route to Nashville carrying Patsy Cline, Cowboy Copas, Hawkshaw Hawkins, and Patsy's manager, Randy Hughes, who was piloting, crashed in a forest near Camden, Tennessee in bad Mm. weather. They were 90 miles out from their destination, and all aboard were killed instantly. Patsy was laid to rest at Shenandoah Memorial Park in Winchester, Virginia, and thousands attended her memorial. She was 30 years old, and the people who knew and loved her best, her mother, her sister, her husband, and close friends, including Loretta Lynn, Mm -hmm. whose coal miner's daughter uh, featured her and kind of revived. When that came out in 1980, it kind of revived interest in Patsy Cline. They would all spend the rest of their lives shepherding her legacy and keeping her work alive. As well they should. Mm -hmm. Not going to lie, I feel like the world in general was robbed by Patsy Cline's incredibly untimely death. Musically, I mean, so much. But I also think fans of Trash Candy really lost someone who was just going to keep on delivering bad decisions for decades to come. (laughs) It is easy to imagine that if that plane had touched down safely, she and Charlie would eventually have split and there would have been more bad ideas to follow. As it happened, Charlie devoted the rest of his life to keeping Patsy's music in the public mm-hmm. mind. He worked on documentaries, 
re-released albums, remixed recordings of live performances for release. He passed away in 2015 at the age of 81 and is buried beside Patsy. Aww. So this is some old school, deeply authentic Southern trash candy. I'm very happy about this one. I'm giving it 100 trash cans. This is approximately the number of songs that Patsy Cline recorded in her too brief, but incredibly exceptional life. I'm going to cry a little. That was beautiful. I'm kind of glad I got through that without crying a little. Incredibly brief and exceptionally well done. That's a lot of living for 30 years. Yeah. And there was a lot of like making out with other people and like... Talk about living on your own terms. Oh, yeah. I... Do it, Patsy. Hoss. Hoss. I got some news. He's a hurricane in pants. That's the best thing I think I've ever heard. So I that love it. is Patsy Klein, more or less, the Trashy Divorces version. We will have links out to her music, the book Honky Tonk Angel. I will always encourage Patsy Klein fandom. There's just nothing wrong with it and there never will be. She is incomparable. Mm. I didn't know we had so many similarities. Let's take a quick break and we're going to come back with a whole different kind of legacy of Trashy. Yeah. Like, I love this week on Trashy Divorces. Legends. We'll see you on the flip after a word from our sponsors. Years got the extra decades. Yeah. Okay, Alicia, am I hearing this right that Willie got you stoned, took all your money, and then made you write a story about him? (laughs) Willie got Jack Johnson stoned and took all his money from the very great song, Willie Got Me Stoned and Took All My Money, back from Farm Aid a number of years ago. Yeah, I heard a song about that. I love the story this week. I'm bringing you the often requested trashy divorces of Willie Nelson. Or as I call him, Saint Willie Nelson... (laughs) troubadour apostle we have a lot of saintly musicians of late i combine these two words troubadour apostle he's like the strolling minstrel of pioneering reform i love him but also willie i think is entirely the original trash panda like you're about to hear a lot of trashy but the thing i love about willie nelson he owns it yeah i did that He's totally honest and open about his mistakes, and he is on this quest, I think, to master what it is being human. There's nobody else like Willie Nelson. He's wholly original. He's an American icon. He's an outlaw. He's anti-war and pro-marijuana and pro-gay rights and pro-environment and pro an incredible life. Didn't he have that giant rally for Beto O'Rourke? Like, that blew my mind. Like, okay. Okay, grand old man of country. Willie Nelson is also the only person alive who has outsmoked Snoop Dogg. So, a life of accomplishment. When we talk about Willie's musical accomplishments, whoa. 69 solo albums, 12 live albums, 42 compilations, movie soundtracks to 337 song credits. 25 of those go to number one. In the United States alone, Willie Nelson has sold 40 million albums. Just domestically. That's, that, that is just staggeringly impressive. He is beloved by his fans. He is unselfish as a performer and just like 
generally an all-around nice guy. Never too busy to meet a fan or sign an autograph. And this curiosity for life that is unparalleled, incomparable. There's no one else like Willie Nelson. I believe he's starting to fill a role in our society akin to Yoda in the Star Wars universe. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. He, I mean... His wives might agree there's no one else quite like him. <laughs> Willie's had four wives. Four of them, you say. Three divorces. And he'll be the first to tell you, I've been married four times, and traveling on the road the way I do or did whatever is not healthy for marriages, and I have the ex-wives to prove it. Willie straight up admits his failures and wrongdoings, especially about his infidelity. OG Trash Panda. I have a lot of respect for that. It's something to be trashy and claim it. We talk about a lot of people who are trashy who... Yeah, they're justifying never, and mm -hmm. defensive and whatever, and he's just embracing. No, Willie claims it so much, he'll write a song called Wives and Girlfriends. Oh, no. In this song, well, I love my wives and I love my girlfriends. May they never meet. Oh, my God. May they never know each other when they pass on the street. Willie... Willie Nelson has also said that a good song is nothing but three chords in the truth. Cheat if you must. Lie if you will. <laughs> Willie's going to write from what he knows. Let's talk about it. Willie Hugh Nelson, Taurus man. The quintessential Taurus man. Willie's born April 29th in Abbott, Texas in 1933. During the Great Depression, Willie has a sister that's two years older, Bobby Lee. And Willie and Bobby have 16-year-old parents who are utterly not equipped to raise two babies in the Depression. Yeah. Or maybe any other time. They're 16. Yeah. It's Amazing. Okay. Not unsurprisingly, parents divorce. And Bobby and Willie are going to be with their grandparents from the time that Willie's about six months old. They're a family with a whole lot of love. And not a whole lot in the way of wealth. Poor family living in a depressed, tiny Texas town through the Depression. Willie says, we were dirt poor in material possessions, but rich in love. And Willie kind of has unicorn grandparents. And this whole family bond, rich in love thing, which begins this huge attachment to family that Willie has. His grandparents are going to take a correspondence course to learn how to teach music. Because you had radio, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Bobby, like, they sing. They're into the Bible. They're sure. into scripture. They're into verse. They're into music. Yep. Gospel and Grandparents take a correspondence course to learn how to teach music, That's not only to their kids, but remarkable. the kids in their town, right? Mm -hmm. Music, it makes the world go round. Willie's a talented kid. He is writing poems and, like, by five, six, soon enough writing songs, sad songs. It's like a seven-year-old kid. He's writing the saddest songs you've ever heard. Talented kid, his grandparents are going to buy him a Stella guitar that costs $6. That's how much unicorn grandparents, can you imagine $6? In the Great Depression? And I, Whoa. Grandpa dies of pneumonia when Willie's 10. Sad. Willie's heartbroken. And he is going to take all the things that grandpa has taught him to manifest his next steps. Sister Bobby, who is a musician, is going to get married to a 
guy who's more of a producer than a musician, but they have a band and Bobby and her new husband are gonna buy Willie a suit and take him on the road with them and the band. Starting from about the time Willie's like 14, he has his own fan club in the band. He'll say playing a dance is a lot easier than picking cotton. Can't argue there. Is anyone else concerned that all of these musicians at the age of 14, 15 are like out on the road in the in the 40s? <laughs> no, it still happened in the 60s. Mac McAnally did it. When mm-hmm. you talk about songwriters, like if you've got a talent. No, Ike Turner, I mean, Elvis, like, no, mm-hmm. this this was what was happening. I just feel like authorities would be called if that were happening <laughs> on the regular today. Talent rises, right? Just going to go off with this group of young adults. <laughs> My child has been kidnapped by rock by stars. Rock stars. Sorry, now we're just making almost okay. famous jokes. <laughs> All right. Willie pulls a brief stint in the Army. He's drafted into the Air Force, but there's a back injury that's going to resurface, which will leave Willie medically discharged and returning back to Waco. Where Willie's going to get a hankering one day for a burger. Is going to meet a 16-year-old car hop named Martha Jewel Matthews. Another job I want a written description for. Car hop soda jerk. (laughs) I'm just saying, this story, so good. Everything. The early career paths of modern America. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Willie and Martha meet. The heart wants. The heart heart wants. wants. Willie will say it was love. My first full blast of love. The kind of love where you lose your mind and let your heart lead the way. Martha's 16 and Willie's 19 when these two kids get married in 1952. And the first kid comes along pretty quickly. As they do. Two more kids will follow. There is a lot of climbing out of windows to avoid rent in the middle of the night. Like, it's a hard scrabble life. There's not a lot of money. Young couple, three kids. And an enormous amount of suspicion within the marriage. Martha... Realizes it's probably not easy being married to Willie. She suspects he's cheating. He's trying to make something happen. Like, I need to feed my family. But Martha is suspicious. Four years into the marriage, the family is going to leave Texas and head to Portland, Oregon. Where Willie Nelson is going to host a radio show in Vancouver called The Western Express. He's working as a DJ. He performs a little on the air. He's getting some notice, but... His music is doing something with the sound that is not regular with this sound. His intonation, his timing is not what the sound is, but he's still DJing and doing his thing. And he's going to meet a lady named Mae Axton at this gig. And Mae Axton is known as the mother of country music. She is one of the co-writers of Heartbreak Hotel that Elvis records. Mae Axton is up at the Western Express for an interview. And she's like, Willie, you need to get the hell out of here. You need to go to Nashville. That's the place for you. You are a, he plays her some of his stuff. She's like, you're a songwriter, man. You are wasting your time and talent right here. I'm sure Portland was a much smaller place back then, but that, when you said that, I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Keep Portland weird, man. (laughs) After Willie does not get the raise he wants from the radio station, He's like, maybe that May Axton lady is super right. So on the way, they pack up the family. On the way back to Nashville, they're going to stop back in Texas. And he stops at the Esquire Ballroom 
which is where he's gotten kind of a little bit of a start to sell a few songs, to make some gas money, to get the family up to Nashville. He ends up getting hired to play in a band, which is better than selling songs anyway, and does that for a little bit. But Willie will end up selling a song of his for 50 bucks for the cash that he needs. It's called Family Bible. Willie Nelson gets no credit actually on the song originally, but it is top of the charts. Wow. And Willie's like, whoa, if I can uh-huh. write one hit song, I can probably write another hit song. So in 1960, the whole family making its way to Nashville. They move into the trailer that Roger Miller has just moved out of. And Martha is working at the wagon wheel, trying to raise three kids. Willie's trying to scrape it together, too. One of their daughters gets scarlet fever there. Like, it costs a lot of money to heat the trailer. Mm-hmm. Right. It's still hard scrabble. Success is not coming easy, but Willie's making connections and ends up getting a paid songwriting gig at Pamper Music. And he's writing songs about his own life and he's having some success. Crazy, mm-hmm. for instance. But not a lot of success in doing his own music. He wants it, but still, his sound is not the current it, yeah. Nashville sound. And it is going to take Willie getting funky to turn his own thing into what Nashville is going to be all about. Sure. Willie and Martha are going to last about 10 years, three kids, but they contain multitudes of exactly... <laughs> Why maybe you have not found the right person to be with lessons. There is a tremendous amount of infidelity and (laughs) lying on Willie's part. Mm -hmm. But on Martha's part, there is spousal abuse. So one night Willie comes home drunk and Martha's mad. So she sews Willie up in a bed sheet. Maybe Um, ties um, him up with ropes. The details change depending on who's telling the story. Maybe Willie was drunk enough to pass out. Well, the, she she body bags him. Is the gist of the story is that Willie is restrained and Martha beats him with a broomstick. Oh, hell. Mm-hmm. Willie says, by the time I got loose, she'd lit out in the car with the kids, her clothes, and my clothes. Wow. Done. Martha's, we do not approve of spousal abuse in any context. We don't. But that night apparently was the last straw for Martha. Martha's done. 1962. Marriage number one, finita. Props for creativity, I guess. First I've heard of sewing someone into sheets. I think this story's going to hit a lot of firsts for you. (laughs) Okay, one down, what, two to go, three to go? Okay. So it's not too terribly long that Willie needs to wait because wife number two is in the wings. Her name is Shirley Collie. She's a March 16th Pisces girl. She's a country singer, too. Hmm. She is also the wife of one of Willie's DJ friends. But Willie and Shirley do a single together called Willingly in 1962. And, God, you know, her soon-to-be ex is going to be like, it was all there right in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some sparks are flying. I think Willie falls in love with her voice, right? Needless to say. They are going to marry in 1963 in a Las Vegas wedding. Willingly. 
on the heels of both of their divorces. So maybe Martha and her husband were spot on about that whole lying, cheating, heart thing. But Uh again, the heart wants. (laughs) So Willie and Shirley are going to do their thing. Uh, He is performing. He's always on the road performing. He's been back from the beginning of the story. Right. Being on the road is not healthy for marriages, but Shirley is taking a break from her career and staying a little closer to home, helping to raise her three stepkids. Right. Which, boy, the fulfillment of your dreams is to get married, have kids or have stepkids, and then have your spouse just like leave to go to Never her be for around. weeks. <laughs> right. Well, it's going well enough until... Shirley goes out to check the mail one day. Oh, no. There's a bill in the mail. This would be late 1969 or so. So they've been married about six years. And it's a bill from a Houston hospital, the maternity ward of a Houston hospital, requesting payment for the birth of a child. Oh, my God. That Shirley has not had. Oh, my God. Um, Surprise billing. Shirley gets the bill for Willie's child. Uh huh. Wives and girlfriends was the name of that song. Wives and girlfriends. Uh huh. I thought you were going to say she finds love letters or something. Oh, right? No, she finds mm, the bill for. There's your other. I think that's the trashy divorces first. That. Yes. Oh boy. How's that go? Shirley's mad. You really. <laughs> Interesting. Willie doesn't really get a chance to explain or apologize. Huh. Shirley packs up her shit and Shirley's done. But at least she does not sew him into anything and beat the hell out of him with a stick. Silver linings. Growth. (laughs) (laughs) Their divorce is finalized by 1971. There is an interview where Willie talks about her getting that bill. And he says, I could see how that would upset her. (laughs) (laughs) Willie Nelson owns it. He owns it all the time. I, I love him. All right. Just stepping into her shoes, I can... That what might have it? that might have rattled me, too. <laughs> I could see how that would upset her. Jeez. Um, probably not mattering too much to Willie, because he clearly has become involved with another lady, mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. right, is now going to be stepping up for wife three. Well, uh, and it has his baby. <laughs> the mother of the misrouted Bill baby. Uh, her name is Connie Kepke. She's a film producer, and once Shirley's out, Connie's in... With baby. The baby's not named Miss Routed Bill, is it? <laughs> no. I'm keeping kids' names That's out, like... just a nickname. <laughs> Sorry. No, I appreciate that you're... Yeah, because he... Yes, he's... Well, they're all... Like, mm-hmm. All of his kids are pretty famous in their own right, and I've got this thing about family at the end. Like, you want to hear a musically talented family, go check out Willie Nelson and any one of his kids or grandkids. Mm-hmm. They are amazing. I think she's Paula Carlene, if I'm not mistaken. And Amy is the second daughter. Miss Routed Bill. Miss, stop. Let's cut that. So what's our count here? Three wives, five kids. And we're going to coast through most of the 70s and most of the 80s maintaining this. Happy marriage, five kid thing. Gosh, who else have we covered with five kids and three wives? Hmm. 1971. Willie's home is going to burn in Nashville. And Willie's like, forget it. I'm going to go back to Texas. I'm done. I'm done trying to make it in Nashville. I'm 
great as a songwriter. You know, I've got kind of what I need, but I'm 40. I have a new wife and a baby and another baby on the way. And I can go back to Texas and play golf. That is so much better than continuing to exist in this place that, you know. Doesn't fully want me. Yeah. Nashville's tough. Nashville's tough. So Willie does take the new wife and the kids and they all head back to Texas. But Willie's not done. He's not going to retire. Willie's on his way up to visit sister Bobby one day in Austin. And he picks up a hitchhiker. Where can I take you? They're like, oh, I want to go to the Armadillo World Headquarters. And this is, holy cats, this like burgeoning scene musically that combines hippies and rednecks, right? Uh, It is country. It is folk. It is rock and roll. It is this new, it's Willie's music, right? Right. But Willie's never heard anybody doing anything close to his kind of music before. Where is this happening? Austin. Austin, oh, uh, okay. That makes the Armadillo World Headquarters. Sorry, that makes so much. Sorry, Austin. I should have known that about Dude, you. This sets Austin up for sure. part of its like future trajectory is a music city. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. So Willie like checks out the Armadillo World Headquarters, and he's like, "Whoa!" He picks up his phone. He calls his buddy Wailing Jennings. Like, "Dude, I found it. I found the funk." Like. You've got to come here and check the sound out because this is what we're wanting to do. Like Austin becomes a world-class city partly because of the scene happening in the early 70s. Keep Austin weird. The, apparently Willie Nelson is... I mean, it's a blend of a music scene that isn't happening mm-hmm. anywhere else. It's not California. It's not Nashville. It's not... It's sure. Southern in this entirely unique it's entirely specific sure no i mean again memphis in the 50s had this like Mm -hmm. ferment it sounds like this is very you know different but willie and waylon yeah it's one of these kicking it up second cities of love it during this time now that willie's back in texas he's gonna start his infamous fourth of july picnics in 1973 this begins in luck texas they're festivals really Willie borrows the idea from Woodstock, but for almost 50 years, almost 50 years, these festivals on the 4th of July picnics every single year have brought together rock and roll, country, soul, folk, everything connecting people in music for almost a 50 year run. And it's like Willie Nelson's legendary festival by 1974. All of this new sound has gotten Willie a contract with Columbia, where he actually has artistic control and is going to release a concept album called Redheaded Stranger. It's a concept album. He's turning into an outlaw, yo. And he's going to join up with Waylon and some friends to form a new band called The Outlaws. Willie's also going to get high on the roof of the White House. He calls himself the chief testing officer. Heard of this, yeah. It's still the 70s, early 80s. Why not go ahead and star in some films? He's an electric cowboy with, I think, previous trashy divorces alum Jane Fonda. Mm. Honeysuckle Rose with another fun spiderweb. Previous trashy divorces alum Diane Cannon, who was divorced from Cary Grant. Huh. Willie Nelson is going to write On the Road again for Honeysuckle Rose. 
What else happens? Oh, Willie's going to form the Highwaymen. Right. With Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, and uh, the crush of my heart, Chris Christopherson, who maybe has got to be Willie Nelson's best friend. I'm not sure. Some of the very best quotes I've seen about Willie are from Chris Christopherson. I love this one from him that I really do, do think defines this period of Willie's life. Christofferson says, he's such an old coyote. He's always up to something. <laughs> and friends he is. Because just like Woodstock inspired Willie for his 4th of July picnic festivals, Live Aid in 1985 is yep. going to inspire him to do a thing called Farm Aid, mm -hmm. where he's going to call his buddies Neil Young and John Mellencamp. The 80s were a specific time. Well, the specific time of the 80s do also bring a little bit of trouble with the uh, tax man. I recall this. By the mid-1980s, Willie is $17 million in debt with back taxes. And the man is going to come in and seize Willie's assets. It's a lot of assets. Willie's unfazed. He says they couldn't or didn't take anything that I really needed. Who's possessive about stuff? Hey, I sold one song. I can sell another. My shit doesn't matter. Uh, Waylon Jennings will end up calling him up during this time. And Waylon tells this story. It's like, I called Willie. I wanted to offer some support, make him feel better. Because I feel like yeah. he's probably feeling pretty shitty about where his life is right now. Willie's on the beach in Hawaii. And Waylon's like, I hope this isn't getting you down, friend. You're not, you know, too terribly upset, are you? And Willie's like, upset about what? <laughs> like, I'm on a beach in Hawaii. Willie's just rolling through it. I can write another song. I'm teaching baby Jack Johnson how to surf. My, <laughs> my, I've grown up with nothing material in the way of possessions. Yeah. My earthly reward does not lie in anything I own. It lies in that's my... A, that's a good point. Those Depression-era babies, like... Yeah, it lies in me. It lies in the connections I have with my family and my kids and my band. It lies in relationships. Taxman can't take those away from me. Like, there's something really remarkable and life lessening in Willie. This is effectively the plot of Schitt's Creek, by the way. Oh, well, look, see? <laughs> Willie Nelson, trendsetter. <laughs> But Willie's fans love him. So a group of farmers who don't even have the money themselves pool together to buy Willie's farm back at auction and deed it back to him. Like, fans are just tossing money on stage when he plays. And Willie is humbled by all of this and really grateful, but also feeling kind of like, let me work for it. Don't just give me money, let me earn the money that you're giving me, I can I can write a new song. So he gets with the IRS and he's like, what if I uh, put out an album and all the profits from that album just go straight to you in the government? Pay off my tax debt and we'll call it all done. <laughs> this album is called The IRS Tapes, Who Will Buy My Memories? <laughs> Willie Nelson is wearing a t-shirt on the cover of the album that says shit happens. I love him. I, I'm i a little amazed that the IRS agreed to this sort of sight unseen. Oh, there were negotiations. Part of the scandal of this is that Price Waterhouse makes a, a run for the album but puts the wrong number on the call-in to order this album. 
Yeah. It's... Willie Nelson's story could take 12 seasons exactly. to tell. It's so good. Yeah. Anyway. His tax debt is negotiated down to about $6 million. There are some windfalls over the next few years that's going to get Willie back on a financially stable track. Awesome. But Alicia, this <laughs> trashy divorces. What's going on with Willie? We still have another divorce and a wife to get to. So everything during all of that life trial and tribulation, everything in love has been smooth sailing with Connie. And Willie, since 1971, they've had 15 years of hmm. sticking together. Which brings us to 1986, when Willie decides to do a little bit more acting. And uh, Stagecoach is getting remade for TV. And who wouldn't want to act with all my best friends, Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash? And you're going to let me play Doc Holliday? In Stagecoach? When and where do I show up? Yeah. Willie shows up on set and wowza. There's a makeup artist for the production and her name is Anne-Marie D'Angelo. Annie. And the two are instantly drawn together. Annie is an August 27th baby. She's a Virgo. Taurus man, Virgo woman. Great match. Great. You cannot do better than two Earth signs together. You have an idea about what's going to happen, though? Does it involve surprise medical billing? No, actually, this okay. one is great just, job, yeah. both of you. Connie and Willie divorce in I 1988. I was going to say, there are just better ways to end a relationship than letting a hospital yeah. bill no, arrive for you. Yeah, Connie and Willie divorce in 88. Three down, one more to go in this one, because Willie and Annie will get married in 1991. And have stayed that way ever since. They're going to be celebrating 30 years of marriage. Good for them. Next year, which is incredible. Yeah, congrats. Willie says Annie is the great love affair of his life. And Willie's the first one to tell you he's not easy to live with. He says, I'm pretty temperamental, you know. I've been used to doing things my own way for so long that I am not interested in any suggestions. There was friction with my other wives, but it seems like Annie and I did okay with each other. It takes a special person to live with me. It's love that brought Annie and me together, and it's love nearly 30 years later that has kept us together. When it comes to romantic relationships, that's a record for me. Took me damn near a lifetime to get it right. Annie and Willie do have two boys, Lucas and Micah, who are performing musicians now in their own right. They've done some great stuff with Willie Throughout the quarantine, they've played together oh, in nice. some kind of at-home stuff, which has been fun. Nice. Truly, everyone in that family is a talented musician. Kids, grandkids. Willie is Willie Nelson and the family. That's what he calls his band. Bobby sings with them. Like, it is a entire Nelson family production. Whether you are blood-related to the Nelsons or not. Like... These are the strong bonds he makes playing music, and he's doing the thing that his grandparents raised him to do and claiming every bit of his human experience on the way. Family matters, Willie says. Along the way, you pick up wives and kids, and you're responsible for them. You don't discard them. There's no such thing as ex-wives, only additional lives. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's Willie Nelson. Four wives, three divorces, and oh, hell, I forgot to tell you about the surprise kid. Oh. Wait on it. So Willie Nelson has seven kids with his wives, been married to Annie, but then there's a bonus kid that he finds out about in 2012. There's an old relationship that he has that has produced a daughter that he doesn't know about for decades and decades. And this daughter has a daughter and a granddaughter. So their family has folded into Willie's own family. Wow. Willie says, you know, our only regret is that we didn't find out about all these female relatives for so long. I consider them as much a part of Willie Nelson and the family as I do my other children. Like they all spend Christmases together. Like that's the thing with Willie. If you're, your family, whether or not you're blood or not, if you're in Willie's family, you are in Willie's family. He's been playing with most of the same band since the 70s and 80s. There is, and they love him. They love him. There's this one time that the tour bus is stopped and, you know, who's smoking pot in here? And the whole tour bus pulls this, I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. So like, Willie's not on the hook for the weed. It's mine. It's mine. That's it. Oh, God. Willie, no plans of retiring anytime soon. He's asked in 2001 about the possibility of retirement. And Willie's like, all I do is play music and golf. Which one do you want me to give up? (laughs) I am certain Willie, because that's what he knows, will be back on the road again as soon as the universe allows for it. Mm Mm-hmm. These days, Willie is spending his time with Annie and the family that is quarantining in and out of there in Luck, Texas, or in Maui, where Willie and Annie, talk about some famous next-door neighbors, share a sustainable farm there in Maui with Chris Christofferson. Oh, and fun thing, check the Trash Candy Quarantine link for some new free Patreon episodes if you're looking for some trashy fun over the holidays. I've dropped one about Chris Christofferson's most famous song, Me and Bobby McGee, covered by Janis Joplin. Stacy, remind everybody what that link is. Sure, it's um, bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine. Again, the longest short link I could think of. So You did well you, on that. There you go, thanks. Okay, I think this love letter to St. Willie is almost done. I do love this quote about Willie from his friend Waylon Jennings. Waylon says about Willie... <laughs> He wears the world like a loose garment. Hmm. Think about that. Like we would all be doing very well to channel parts of Willie Nelson into our own inner avatars. You OG know, Trash Panda. You know who else wears a loose garment? Baby Yoda. <laughs> As trash cans go for Willie. I mean, all right. We're going to go to the 4th of July picnic. There are trash cans there. Some of them are going to be separated into different categories for proper recycling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's probably going to be some filled with pot, probably some filled with biodiesel. Maybe some are filled with all of his winnings from poker games where he gets people high. Maybe a few are also filled with the kind of love that Willie shows in this world. Flawed, oftentimes, but glorious too. Like, what a grand adventure And being human and screwing up and taking account for it and doing great things along the way in the ways that you can. 
Willie Nelson, you are a trashy divorces hero, my friend. You don't give us perfection, but you always give us your best. And I think the world is better because of Willie Nelson. Agreed. American icon, Willie Nelson. That's the Super story. proud. Yeah, that's great. I love this. Closing out with two heroes. Seriously, Patsy Cline. Trashy heroes. Yeah, Patsy Cline would have had decades more trash. I'm so sad. Willie had the extra decades and mm-hmm. is still kicking those decades. Yeah, beloved. You don't give us perfection, but you do give us your best. I mean. God, I love him. Luckily, none of our subjects, nor us, nor any of our listeners have ever delivered perfection either. So, <laughs> The sooner we embrace that, mm-hmm. the better off we are. Are we doing our best? Babe, I think that wraps another season of doing our best. Eight seasons. We're going to have to get another cat now and name it Misrouted Bill. Stop yourself. Eight seasons. Eight seasons. Friends, please have wonderful holidays. Yes. Thank you for listening. And we're going to be back with you on January 3rd for a whole new season of Trashy Divorces. Oh, and maybe a little holiday episode of some kind over the next few weeks before we come back. Don't forget to send us your stuff to TrashyDivorces at gmail.com. We'll still be doing stuff on Patreon as well. You can check that bit.ly trash candy quarantine link. Enjoy your holidays, trash pandas. Thank you for tuning in this season and previous seasons and next season. Take a breath. You made it through 2020. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Like, this has been such a tough year for everyone. And like, we're happy if you're new to us. Welcome. If we've helped you through it, you've helped us through it too. Happy holidays. Here we go, 2021. Yeah, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. We can't wait to see you in 2021. Yep. To ensure that we do see you in 2021, what should everybody do? Well, they can press the subscribe button if they have not already. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I mean, please do. But yes, wash your hands, wear your masks, like play it safe just for a little while longer. Clean hands. Trashy hearts, Mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody, for... An incredible two years. We are so grateful for you. We can't wait to come back January 3rd. It's mind-boggling. Thank you all so much. Keep it trashy, friends. Happy everything. Everything. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly 
slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there, and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.